we worship. I think you've got Miss Rich and his daughter Raleigh back there waiting for you. Want to uh, just say thank you on behalf of the elders, um, uh, the church that honors the leaders of this. Uh, is, in a sense, honoring the Lord, and we, we thank you so much uh, for your thoughtfulness in this way, but uh, also in honoring our Father, as we seek to honor our Father as well um, in how we serve, and it is uh, a great privilege for us uh, to be able to do so, so thank you so much. I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to the book of First John, as we are about to begin a whole new month, and so consequently a whole new uh, Bible reading section. Uh, This month we'll be reading 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Uh, You can pick up the uh, reading guide booklets that are out in the foyer. If you haven't done so already, you can pick one out uh, on your way out. Uh, We just encourage you. Uh, I've I've been uh, especially encouraged with uh, the church's involvement in the Bible reading this year. Um, it's been just a great blessing to me just to know uh, that you are reading the Word of God. I was uh, talking with one this past week who has not joined in uh, with us, chosen not to be able to join in with us due to COVID. And uh, he, he shared with me that it has just been a great thing for him just to know that we're all reading uh, the same text together and learning of the Lord in the same way. Uh, so just uh, encourage you in that. Um, we don't have long to go for the year. Uh, so we are getting there. So we're going to look at 1 John. Uh, this was written um, uh, by every account that we know of by the Apostle John, though it's not stated in the book. Uh, we know that by his style of the writing, uh, that it is uh, of John, as well as the early church tradition was uh, pretty clear uh, that this was of the Apostle John. Uh, and he writes this to uh, encourage us and to let us know that there are certain tests that we can check for ourselves to know whether we are in Christ or not. And so you'll see throughout the the letter of 1 John these tests uh, that are given, and we'll look at that a bit more next week, Lord willing. Uh, But I want to focus in on chapter 2 this morning as we look at verses 12 through 17. Many years ago, I tried out snorkeling. I thought I would love snorkeling because I love most water sports um, and have always uh, never had really a fear of the ocean um, and uh, been a part of that uh, my whole life. And so I thought this would be a great experience. And so we were in the Florida Keys and uh, the water's pretty clear anyway. Uh, I got a snorkel, rented it. Um, and then swam around, um, and it pretty well petrified me. Uh, it hit me uh, that there are fish as big as I in this water, and there was no barrier between me and them. That's always the case. I just never saw it. But now I could see it, and the water was so clear that it wasn't just the few feet in front of me. It was as far as I could see and down to the bottom uh, and I saw weird, bizarre creatures, and, and I, my vision was limited. I could only see what was in front of me. I couldn't see behind, and, and I thought, one of these big groupers, these big fish is going to come behind me, and I'm not, and, and then all of a sudden I felt claustrophobic, and I thought, what is happening to me? 
I don't know if you've ever had those feelings before, but all of these things started coming in at me at one time, and I thought, here I am, out in the water, I've chosen to do this, and I, <laughs> what am I going to do? And I just, after a while, I just quit, so this, this is fearful. And it just hit me, I'm not made for this underwater world. It might be normal for me to have some claustrophobic feelings of, of fear that this is not my domain and there's these huge fish and they could just nibble on me at any moment. And so when I go to the ocean nowadays, I don't go in with a mask. I don't go in with a snorkel. Definitely don't go with scuba gear. I'm just fine in the Atlantic Oceans where I can't see a thing except for the occasional things that pop up. Um, and I'm happy that way. Um, because I'm just there to visit for a little while. I'm not going to live in these waters. Well, as we read 1 John chapter 2, John is letting us know that we are here in this world, but we're just kind of snorkeling. We're not made for this world. And so consequently, we should have a love and affection for another world than just the world that we see. And so we're going to look at this about how we live in this world, that there is a love that God hates. There is a love that God hates, and that is to say, to love the world. And let's talk about what that means uh, in just a little bit. So I'm going to ask that we stand as we read together, beginning with verse 12, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, reading through verse 17. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You may be seated. So we read through Scripture that lets us know that there are about three enemies to the spiritual life of the believer. There is the enemy of Satan himself, the accuser, the evil one. And then there is the enemy within us, our own flesh, our own selfish pride. But then there is the enemy without, in the world, the world system. In this passage, we find that John addresses all three at once. But the main point of this is to say, don't love the world. Why? Why do we not love the world? Well, as we get to verses 12 through 14, it simply is we don't love the world because of who we are, because of 
who we are. We have this passage where John is writing, addressing three different groups. The, the fathers, the little children, the young men, and we see this repeated. And so the idea is that and at whatever stage of life you're in, consider who God has made you in whatever stage you're in, whether the little children to the fathers to the young men, the old, the young, the in-between. And so he repeats certain themes, and notice he says in present tense terminology, your sins are forgiven, children, for his name's sake. He says, fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. And he repeats that same idea. And then to the young man, he says, you have overcome the evil one, the accuser, Satan himself. And then he elaborates on that in verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. What does that look like to say you've overcome the evil one? Well, it's you're strong. Well, what does that look like? Well, the word of God abides in you. Strength equals the word of God abiding in you. And that looks like overcoming the evil one. That the central voice in your heart, in your mind, in your thinking, in your motivations is God's word itself. That his direction, his identity, his values are shaping your value, your identities, your purposes. And so that's what it means for the word of God uh, to abide is that it brings strength in our life so that we overcome the evil one. But in all these things... Your sins are forgiven. You know God from the beginning. The word of God abides in you. This is about who you are in Jesus Christ. That we are those who know what it is to be forgiven. To be loved by God. Therefore, we want no other greater voice in our mind than the word of God. And we consider the evil one. The evil one is the one who hates God, who hates Jesus, who is working in the system that when God became flesh, that this Jesus, this perfect, beautiful one, was brought to the crucifixion by the evil one working through the world system. And so we don't love the things of Satan because we know where Satan takes Jesus. No more than if you had someone assassinate your brother. How friendly could you be with the one who murdered your brother? So too, as we think about this, that we are following Jesus, but yet sin and Satan is the one who brought Jesus to death. Because of who we are. Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Married men, I would suggest to you that flirting is not a behavior that you take other than with your wife. Why? Because of who you are. You're no longer searching for a mate. You're no longer playing with the idea because in a commitment before God and to their wife, you said yes to her, no to everyone else. And so, therefore, flirting is no longer necessary. I remember when I first got married, and I remember how I used to hang out with groups and enjoyed hanging out with the groups. And then I got married. And I was like, it's funny how my desire for hanging out just dropped. 
And I, I thought, what? Well, this is weird. And then I, I didn't realize how much flirting was a motivation of hanging out with the, the mixed couples or mixed people and uh, mixed genders. And, and so it's, it's like, wow, there's a desire the end of, because of who I am now in marriage. And so, listen, I want you to understand that because we are in Christ, there has been a great love that has filled our heart. And so we no longer flirt with how this world works. Because we are being satisfied in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Old men, you know who has created you and who has saved you. And so you've known him from the beginning and you won't know other. Little children, understand that this one is forgiving you of your sins. You won't know other. Young men, this is the one who's giving you the strength to overcome. Now, considering who you are. We don't love the world. But let me talk a little bit about what is the world, all right? Because when you read Scripture, you think of verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And yet it says, the same writer, John, don't love the world. But yet God loves the world and gave His only begotten Son. And so what's the thinking here? The world, in that sense, is the people. God loves the people, to the point where he sends his son and longs to redeem them. Now, there's also the idea of the things, the, the evidence of the material around us, nature, people, houses, and stuff like that. These are a world that we live in, and, and so there is the sense that these will be redeemed by God. We don't become enemies with materials. I like food. Food is given to me for a certain reason. All right? I like the body. Uh, the, it's intended for the soul to be a part of the body. That is God's intention. They come together. And so I don't hate the body. I enjoy these things. And so there's material. But then there is a system of thinking that we identify with the world. And that is to say, when we see the world for the ultimate purpose of living, that we see pleasure and instead of just enjoying pleasure for what it is in a limited amount of time we see it as the be-all and the purpose of living and becomes hedonism all right so we we see uh materials as these are useful re resources but when we live for them then it becomes materialistic materialism all right we enjoy food for the fuel that it gives us and the taste is provided but when we live for it and see all that is involved in it, it becomes gluttony right and so uh when we we look at this next verse uh verse 16 he breaks it down for us we don't love the world because of what the world is this word lust that we see in verse 16 desires of the flesh or desires of the eyes the king james says the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the pride of life it is uh, more than what's captured in just the word desire uh, there's the greek word for desire but then there's a preposition in front of it that brings an intensity in it to the idea that you could say you don't over desire all right and that's the word here don't over desire the lust of the eyes or don't uh, the things that you see over desire those things that you see don't over desire 
the, the cravings of our flesh, the things that we want, don't over-desire, don't over-desire that life is about us, the pride of life, our jobs, our careers, and feeding into these things. And so when we talk about this, when we don't love the world, we need to understand what this world is. So flesh is referring to the, the, the over-desiring of human beings, over-desiring what we see with our eyes. It is simply living as though all that matters in the world is what you see. Okay? When you think that the only thing that matters is what you see without believing that there is an eternity. We are living worldly. That's a word we use often in church, right? Um, and I think most of the time people aren't thinking about what it means. Worldly. That's I'm not going to listen to that music because that's worldly music. What makes it worldly? First John says it's about over-desiring the things that you see, over-desiring the cravings of your flesh, over-desiring your, your pride and your ego. Uh, Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Jesus looked at this in John 6, 33 and says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So living as though all that matters is in this world is going to profit you nothing in the end. Words that speak to your spirit and they are life. Romans 13, verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, What's the danger of what this world is? John presents this and just these polarizations of love and hate, light and dark. And we see the same thing here as you look at verse 15. If, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in them. And so it has this repulsion effect that when you over-desire the things around you, over-desire entertainment, over-desire food, over-desire beauty, over-desire careers and the path they're in, it has a way of repulsing the love of the Father. Uh, I go kayaking every once in a while, and uh, here in the Noose River, uh, which is our local river, I have to uh, find ways to make it a bit more challenging uh, to just test things, and so I don't just go downstream. I, anybody can do that. I go upstream. Uh, and then when I see those rapids, like, oh, that's there for a challenge. So let's see if I can go upstream in the, uh, on the rapids section, which is not that big a deal here uh, at News. But uh, it is a little bit of a deal uh, there at the old Milburney section where the dam used to be. Um, and I thought, I'm going to try to do that one. And so I, I'm going upstream that one, which just means you're just constantly going at it. And then, and then somehow I, I got wedged up against a rock. Uh, and the rock was behind me, the upstream was coming down. And, and the problem with that is that the force of the water was starting to tilt the boat a little bit. And so uh, I found that polarization matters, especially in the kayak, all right? And the kayak, I want polarization. What do I mean by that? I want only air in the kayak, only air. 
because what I found is that as I was leaning and water started taking the place of the air, then the boat started getting heavier and heavier and unwieldy. I couldn't control it. I was like, oh no. And the only solution for me at this point as more water rushed in is to bail out and see if I can rescue the kayak. So polarization is a good thing from every once in a while, especially when your life depends on it. So in your heart, there's only really two forces at work, either the love of the Father or the love of the world. And if the water of the world rushes in, it will repulse the love of the Father. The good news is the love of the Father repulses the love of the world. And so when we think about what is the antidote to worldliness, to say, I don't want to over-desire beauty. I don't want to over-desire food. I don't want to over-desire my career and my pride. What is the antidote? The antidote is not discipline. How can I reform myself and, and just correct myself and beat my body into submission? That's not the answer. It is an effect. The answer is a greater love. To love something more than the fixings of luxuries. To love something more than just beauty around you. To love something more, the influence of your job. To love power. To love control. To say that I love and know a greater love of God than what these things bring. So the, we don't love the world because of what the world is that repulses the love of the Father. The Christian is not ruined by living in the world, but by the world living in them. And the smile of the world is more dangerous than the frown. The smile of the world is more dangerous than the frown. What note are you living toward? What music directs your heart? When someone plays the wrong note on the piano, it's only natural for you to start singing the wrong note. It's interesting, in Victoria, Victorian England, discovered a, a weird phenomenon where all the errand boys in that time were whistling out of tune. Why? They found that the chimes of the Westminster bells were chiming out of tune. It was just a matter of time for what they heard became the tune of their own whistle. What you listen to, what you long for, has an effect in your love life. This is why worship matters. This is why reading the Word of God daily matters matters because I know good and well you're being inundated with the love of the world on a daily basis and so what are you being nourished by the love of the father versus the love over desiring the things around us this is the thought of Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 in the garden of Eden when we see Adam and Eve when the woman saw the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life she took up its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate the sad reality is they saw something even though they experienced the love of the father 
They said, let's try this out and see if it's better. Galatians 5, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorceries, hatred, contentious, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't love the world because of what the world is. Let me just share with you a couple of signs of worldliness creeping in your heart. I would present to you from Scripture that not being generous, not being generous, Scripture says tithe, 10% is the, the basement going from the Old Testament. Moving into generosity of spirit, if that is not a practice of your life, it reflects cares of the world, love of the world. Because somehow you've forgotten that there's an eternal world, and the only thing that drives is this world. You think, well, if I tithe, then if I'm generous, well, pastor, don't you understand what I'll have to give up if I do that? I would simply say, this world is not the final destination. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep so that he can gain what he cannot lose. Which takes us to the third reason why we don't love the world. Verse 17, because of where the world is going. Where the world is going. Notice what it says. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Keep in mind where this world is going. And I would say to you, not only is lack of generosity reflective of a worldliness, I would present to you also and anxiety, not necessarily a chemical imbalance anxiety, but where you care so much, when you care so much about how this life ought to go. Some of you are in a default position of being general manager of everything you see. And so consequently, you are bothered by much. It's the, it's the response that Jesus gave to Martha and Mary when, when Jesus came to eat with them. And Martha was upset because Mary wasn't doing anything. She wasn't cooperating with the program. And the program meant, hey, we've got to do a good job to uh, impress Jesus. And Jesus' response to Martha after Martha appeals to him, hey, can't you get something to do with Mary here? I mean, she's just not jumping with it. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you're concerned about too many things. Mary has chosen the better part, to sit and listen. Why was it the better part? Because Martha, all the things that you're worried about and you're wondering about and trying to make happen, all these things are going to go away. 
That table, the flower decor, the cleanliness of a place, the, the, the way things are presented, these things don't matter in the end, but talking to Jesus, this, the Word of God will abide forever. She has chosen the better part because it's the one that goes forever. Listen, when we are too anxious about the things of this world, it, it, it is a, re, a reflection of a worldliness. The whole bucket list idea. Just, here's my bucket list. And before I die, God help me, these things are going to happen. And it usually reflects something that's just in this world. That would be great if all that was in this world is what you see. If you didn't have eternity, then yeah, make sure everything is exactly as you want it to be. I was learned some things as we were visiting the senior uh, community building uh, neighborhoods and talking to the realtors, and they were talking about how houses are built. And uh, uh, the realtor said, hey, at this point, when people buy a house, they don't want to tolerate anything. They don't, they don't want to make, like, you know, the cabinet's not just right. It's like, no, this is my last house. I want it to be just right. I don't want to have to deal with inconveniences of my last house. And I thought, that's interesting. I never thought about it. I, I, but I, I could get it. I could understand it. But then I also thought, life is going to have its inconveniences. You can't rule those things out. Things are going to be difficult. Because it's not in this world, in this place, where everything's going to be just like you want it to be. It's never yours to direct. All the things that you see are temporary things. And so the question we ask ourselves in, in a billion years, what matters? Not, not the three-year, five-year, ten-year plan, but let's think longer term in a billion years, in a million years, what matters? And as we look around in this room, from what we know in the Word of God, the only things that are eternal is God's Word and you, the human soul. Focus in, not on worldliness. We don't love the world because of where the world is going. John 8, 51, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. I think we all have some addictive personalities. Some more than others. I was talking about that with a fellow yesterday. We were talking about listening to a musical. And it's like, he said, hey, I'm an addictive personality. I, I heard that musical and I just listened to it for nonstop. And I was like, you know, I kind of did the same thing. Um. We're talking about being addicted to exercise and um, addicted to certain things. And, and you were come to the conclusion like, well, maybe we just need to choose the best things to be addicted to. Because there's no avoiding being addicted. So let's be addicted to the things that give life. What does that mean? Why do, why do you think we have addictive tendencies? Is it a fallen nature thing, perhaps? Or it could be... That God has made you to be totally satisfied in himself. 
And then when we look to other things, somehow they never quite do it. Maybe that craving within you to always go back to something, to get the next dopamine hit of whatever, maybe that dopamine hit was meant to be discovered in a love relationship with the Father. To know that husband, that wife, that sweet little child, that baby, they're never going to give you quite what you want. That job, the next promotion, the next level of respect, the next pay promotion is never going to quite give you what you need and want. The next dessert, the next ice cream, uh, the next uh, bread, the next meat is never going to quite give you exactly what you want the next beautiful image the next beautiful song the next beautiful person that walks you by though it be silicon and digital that there's never quite enough to satisfy the beauty that you were intended for because these things are just reflections and as such they're temporary they're passing god has given you a heart that is eternal and is meant to be satisfied and the beauty of who jesus christ is to know the love companionship of god the father that though you see your sin and you're just like, oh, this is ugly, yet God holds you closer still and hugs you with an affection you don't get because it's not based on your earning. It's the love of the Father to, to eat beautiful, gorgeous, tasty foods, to know that it was intended for you to be satisfied in the goodness of of the Lord, to know what it is to drink water on a hot day, to know that your quench is satisfied by the living life of Jesus Christ. God has given you and built you for greater things. C.S. Lewis has said, don't settle for the mud pies of life when God's granted you a vacation by the sea. We sang a song that said, the weight of glory breaks our chains the weight of god's glory i don't know if you caught that in one of the songs the weight of god's glory breaks our chains our solution is not to get more disciplined we can try to create an atmosphere where you'll read the bible where you'll grow spiritually you love people but the greatest thing is the love of the father you don't need more discipline you'd be enraptured by a greater love And the thing is, whatever effort you put into the relationship of the Father, you're just reciprocating because the Father has already done what you're done, doing, and so much more. He is the eternal masculine one in that he initiates everything. And all the effort of our love toward him is but responding his love toward us. So I invite you to simply turn your eyes on Jesus. And as I say that, know it's because he's already turned his eyes upon you. Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray that you open up our eyes. That you would help us to see and perceive worldliness within us where we over desire the things around us to the point where it destroys our soul and lord at the same time would you open up our eyes 
to help us to see the beauty of your Jesus. Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit, would you set abroad the love of you in our own hearts so that we could see rightly the things around us, to enjoy them for what they are, signs that point to you, but never the end of our life. Children, signs that point to you. Parents, spouses, signs that point to you. Food, beautiful weather, gorgeous flowers, opportunity, trust, responsibility, signs that point to you. So that we could be as ambassadors in this world. We might know the joy and life that's given therein. Lord, keep fresh in our mind the things that we do see are temporary. Give us eyes to see the eternal. I pray this in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus.